Good morning. Happy 2017. Thank you to Chad and thank you to Rick. Um, I want to do something that our pastors normally don't do. They, they normally have a take-home for you that they tell you at the end of the sermon. I'm going to tell it to you right off the bat, and then I'm going to repeat it several times. And it's this. It's without risk, there is no faith, and without faith, there is no risk. In case you don't know me, my name is Jeff Zulkowski. I'm, I've been on staff here since 2005. I've been a pastor since 2012. I have the distinct privilege of shepherding about 30 people who do technical arts ministry, and they're the people whose responsibility is to make sure that services happen smoothly and hopefully without interruption. Sometimes we figure out that we're not doing our job so well when about 500 faces turn around and look up there, okay? And when I'm up there, that's the last thing I want to see, okay? I want your attention to be here every Sunday, and that's the heart of everybody in technical arts ministry. We want there to be no distractions, and we want you to hear from what God is saying to you from this platform. So when you turn around and look at us, we've failed. We want to succeed in that, and we want you to hear from God. I came from Nashville, Tennessee, I spent 10 years in ministry in Nashville. Six of those years, I traveled with a Christian recording artist and Brian Howell, our executive pastor of ministries. Um, for the last four years, I felt a real call to stay home, to, to get planted in the church that I was a part of, and specifically to invest in a group of kids that were there. When God called me to Cleveland through Brian Howell, I answered the call that God made again, and that, sh that time was full of risk, but it's also been full of reward. I came here, I met my wife, I got married. We now have our, our adopted six-year-old daughter, Alexa, who I was discussing with someone out between services, probably more of you know than I than know me. Um, all of these events all took risk, um, but each of them has come with tremendous rewards. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about risky faith. I've been tasked with setting up Pastor Chad and the rest of our teaching pastors in this new series called Risk Takers. And if you look at the back of that card, what I'm going to tell you right now is basically on there verbatim, but this Risk Takers series, is, it's going to challenge us that there's no reward without risk. There's also no growth without risk. So when it comes to God's call in our life, why do we play it safe? God's ultimate call isn't to a, a call to comfort. It's a call to a life of risk-taking for his purposes. And not reckless, but godly risks that help us grow spiritually and provide eternal rewards. Today, I want to challenge all of us to take risky faith. So take your Bible in hand. Take your tablet or your, your, whatever device you might have. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, we invite you to step out to the uh, information desk. We'll, we'd love to put a Bible in your hand before you leave here today. It'll be yours to keep. If you're watching at home, put your earbuds in, turn up the volume. The verses will be on the screen. In my lifetime, I've had opportunities to share my faith in Christ, and many times I've been reluctant to do so, and it's because I'm a people pleaser, and I'll confess that to you right now. I, when I do have those opportunities, I want to take advantage of them. And I want to tell you about one in particular where God rolled out the proverbial red carpet for me.
to share my faith with not just anybody, but a group of agnostics and atheists. I was working in this home church in Nashville, helping with the sound, go figure, from very early on there. And about three years into my time there, we went through a building campaign and uh, decided that we were going to build on a piece of property over the hill from where our church was at. The, the church members, the original church members, had begun this ministry in a very small rectangular building on a moderately traveled side road in this western suburb of Nashville. However, we found property just over the hill, and it put us on the frontage of one of the most well-traveled areas in all of that neighborhood. And we needed to find a buyer for the original property, that little building. So the board decided to sell that building to a small congregation of Unitarian Universalists. If you're not familiar with UUs, as they call themselves, they believe that God is one or a sacred force at work in the world, and they call it love, mystery, a source of all, or spirit of life. They're a congregation that doesn't believe in creeds, but they covenant together. And I spoke with our pastor just yesterday, and she told me that they emphasize love beyond belief. They're very inclusive of all religious views, except for a few people that are less inclusive of people like me with a Christian worldview. So we sold this first building to the UUs, and we began a year-long process of sharing the facility with them while we completed our new home across the hill. And it was during this time that I became familiar with their beliefs and was the main point of contact for their female pastor. After all, they needed to succeed in their services, which were on Sunday afternoons. We did ours in the morning, and so it was a natural connection for me to help with the sound and make sure that they had everything that they needed. A few, months, a few months into our sharing the facility together, the UUs had a series of Tuesday night meetings where they wanted to discuss for those new to their congregation what it was that they believed. And I wanted to attend because I wanted to know. So at the first gathering, the pastor, who was seated about three people to my left in a circle, asked everyone to share their faith journey. And I began to calculate, I'm going to have maybe 15 minutes, if however long it takes, before it gets to me. So I'm sitting there, palms sweating, heart pounding, knowing that I'm going to have an opportunity to share the gospel. First, the first thing I did was I listened. And what I heard as, the, as it went around this circle was a series of people who had disillusionment, not only with organized religion, but often downright pain with people who call themselves Christian. Many of them were raised in families who had attended church, but through some unfortunate event had decided that church, church people, Christianity, Christ, and even God were something they didn't want to have anything to do with anymore. And now years later, they found themselves hungering and looking for something that looked like church again. As it worked its way around the circle, a, a, a very beautiful older woman, about two people to my right, began to share her faith journey, and she said something like this. She said, I heard one time or I read somewhere that faith is confidence in what we can't see and having assurance about... I, I, she said, I, it's something like that. And I was able to tell her later what she was quoting. Finally, I got to share my faith journey. And it was simply the testimony of what God has accomplished in my life. His redemptive work. I got to share the gospel. 
I got to share what Jesus has done for me and what he's meant to me. I had a red carpet moment to share my faith and my journey to this group of people that night. And honestly, it didn't go all that well. It, it did and it didn't. One person in particular, there was a, a gentleman seated right across from me, silver-haired gentleman, reminded me of about five of my college professors, brilliant, brilliant man, just the stuff that came out of him. But as I'm sharing, he interrupts to ask a question, not of me, but of the pastor. And he asks, why do we have to listen to what he has to say, referring to me? The pastor gently reminded him that one of the main tenets of Unitarian Universalists is inclusivity and that he needs to allow me to speak. I finished, but it didn't happen without some grumbling from that corner of the room. That was really an isolated response. The, the fact was many people came up to me afterward and thanked me for what I had to say. Uh, a young couple did. The lady who quoted Hebrews 11.1 1 came. I talked to her and was able to share with her where that quote comes from, and she thanked me as well. And it was, this was an opportunity and a very important opportunity for me to take a risk in sharing my faith. It couldn't have been scarier, but it also couldn't have built, been a more faith-building opportunity. So let's take a look together at this one verse, Hebrews 11.1, 1, that that dear lady quoted that day. In the ESV it reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I often encourage people when they tell me that they want to become a, a better self-feeder, the first thing I tell them is spend time daily in God's word. And you're going to have that opportunity. Rick's already talked about it. Chad's already talked about it. We've got a Bible reading plan that's pretty intense for this 2017. So I, in, I invite you to pick that up and begin to even today. But the second thing I encourage people to do when they want to become a self-feeder is as you read Stop and ask questions. Ask the questions that come to your mind about what you're reading. And we're going to do that today. So the first thing we look at when we look at this verse, I see the word now. And I wonder, why does it start with now? Well, you've got to remember that the Bible, when it was written, wasn't written in chapters and verses. And there weren't these kinds of breaks that we're used to. So we didn't just dive in here. But there was actually this whole chapter 10 that they read before they got to chapter 11. And the now revert, refers back to all of the things that we're going to look at here really quickly in chapter 10. If you do the, the study guide, which is online, you're going to be encouraged this week to look more closely at chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. But I want to look real quickly back a page at verses 19 through 23 of chapter 10. We read there, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Remember, remember that phrase. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I jumped into 25, but um, that phrase in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We can have full assurance of faith because of what God has done, specifically because of what Jesus has done to secure us for God. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his shedding of his blood to atone for my sins and yours, his completion of my redemption and yours, and his victory over death and over sin and the grave that allows us to have faith. Faith, that's the second word in our verse today. And we need to ask some questions about faith. What is faith? That's what we're going to talk about today. The Greek word is a noun which denotes in most contexts in the New Testament a belief or a conviction of the truth of something. I want to take a closer, work, closer look at the root word for that word faith, and it's a Greek word, it's patho. Patho is actually a verb, and that's what faith is based on, and it has the additional meaning of trying to persuade or to induce by words another to believe to make friends of, to win one's favor, to gain one's goodwill, or to seek to win one. This is the primary verb that the word faith is based on, and it's what we're going to explore together today. Specifically, that we have risky faith and that it motivates us to action. How we can turn having faith into acting in faith. In fact, in a moment, we're going to do an exercise together. I'm gonna, we're going to walk through several of these examples of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and we're going to talk about how the faith there was active and not passive. But first, let's finish our, our, our examination of Hebrew chapter 11, verse 1. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This relates back to verse 22 in chapter 10. Assurance is another Greek word that means that which has a foundation, something that's set in place by another and that someone is God. We can have full assurance of that which we hoped for, Christ's return, our sanctification and glorification, the full restoration of God's plan to live with mankind, those who are called in relationship with him, forever. We have this hope, we have this assurance because of what Christ has done, and we can stand firmly on that hope knowing it will come to fruition. Our final phrase in Hebrews 11 is that faith is the conviction of things not seen. <clears throat> the definition of a conviction is a proof, that by which a thing is proved or tested. A proof is something that's verifiable. We use this term in mathematics, we use it in legal settings, and we even use it in printing. We as a creative team put together a final piece of artwork like the risk takers graphic, and we submit a proof to the printer. And what we do when we submit that proof is we trust that everything on it, all the text, the picture, everything about it is exactly the way we want it. The printer, in turn, can then take that having full assurance and full confidence of knowing that he's going to print what it, what it is that we want because it's been verified. This is what this faith is being called in the latter part of verse 1. It's something that's been set in place by God verified by him and has come and testified to by those who've come before us in the faith. It's something we can stand on with full assurance. It's not unlike the stage that I'm standing on. I haven't been underneath this stage in a little bit, 
to see if all the legs are properly seated or that the clamps holding it together are securely in place, but I walked up here with full assurance that it would support my weight. I have enough confidence, in fact, in its stability that I can jump up and down. I trust that it's going to hold me, and it's because of those who put it here. I trust their abilities, and I trust their diligence, but I also trust those who've walked up here like Rick a few minutes ago. And with these proofs before me, I feel confident that I can walk up here without fear of falling. So let's do that exercise we talked about. Let's look at some of these verses in chapter 11 and some of these examples of faith, the people who've gone before us. Each time, though, when we see the word faith, we're going to substitute risk-taking. So faith equals risk-taking. And as I mentioned last service, I'm really glad the marker works. So let's go through a few of these verses, and and we're going to substitute some form of risk-taking for faith. So in verse 4, Abel took a risk and offered God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, took a risk and in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. That's verse 7. Chapter 11, verse 8, Abraham again took a risk and obeyed God when he was called to go out to a place that was, he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham also, when he was tested, took a risk and he offered up his son Isaac on an altar. Moses, when he was grown up, took a risk and refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's verses 24 and 25. Verse 27, Moses took a risk and left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The Israelites, in verse 29, took a risk and crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, drowned. These are just a few of the examples of people who stood firm in their faith and took a risk. There are many more in this chapter 11 of Hebrews. There are even more throughout the Bible. I want you to put a finger in chapter 11 of Hebrews, but jump back to Matthew chapter 15. And we're going to look at Matthew 15, 21 through 28. This is a story of a Canaanite woman who had enough faith to act on that faith. So in chapter 15 of Matthew, verses 21 through 28, we read, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. This woman, a Gentile no less, approached a Jewish teacher and asked him for something that she believed with all her heart 
that he could grant that her daughter be healed of a demon. She persisted when Jesus didn't answer at first, and again when, when he rightly pointed out that he had come to call the lost sheep of Israel. She took a tremendous risk in bringing her petition before Jesus. He could have rejected her, but he didn't. She could have been pushed away by the disciples, but she wasn't. She could have been told no, but she wasn't. She acted on her faith in this Jesus, and she received what she asked for. But it took risky faith to see that accomplished. It took action on her part to see God move mightily. She let her faith show through her works. She let her light shine so that others could see what God was doing in her. And when we do this, we allow God to receive the glory both for our faith and our works. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, you put your finger in Hebrews 11. I'm going to have you go back there, but I'm going to have you jump forward just a few pages to James 2. In James chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 14 through 24. So in verses 14 through 24, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We see here that faith without works, without action, is dead. So we talked about faith equaling risk-taking. We also have to talk about faith equaling works. So faith equals works. It's, it's impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this. It says, it's imp- without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. So we see that we must take action with our faith in order to please God. We must have full assurance that he'll act on our behalf and accomplish through us to do the things he's called us to do. We must have conviction that he's going to call us to the things that he will accomplish through us, and we must act on full assurance and conviction to move forward to see him glorified. Are all of you, maybe with the exception of Darla Marlowe, familiar with the transitive property of equality? Darla's a, a, a math teacher. This goes back to your days of high school math. The transitive property states, this is how you've heard it more. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Okay, 
So if faith equals risk-taking and faith equals works, works also equals risk-taking. Your willingness to act on your faith with works means taking risks. What risks are you willing to take? And what are you willing to trust God to accomplish in and through you in your life? What's God calling you to? What ways is he calling you to risky faith? Maybe today is the first day you're even hearing about this faith. And he's prompting you to act on that faith, to call upon him for new life. If you're hearing the call of God through his Holy Spirit to surrender your life and your will to him today, please answer that call. If you don't have all the right, right words, it's okay. You can simply recognize your need for him and for his need to be in the rightful place in your life. Tell him that you've sinned, that you want his forgiveness. Tell him that you're tired of trying to do this on your own and that you just need him to be in control of your life. Ask him in faith, yes, risky faith, to be Lord and Savior of your life, your new life in Christ. He'll take that risk and he'll make something great of it. Now for the rest of us, I want to take just a few minutes and we're going to pray. We're going to spend some time praying this morning. Let's ask God what it is that he's calling us to do that's risky. Could it be in 2017 that he's calling you to give more of yourself to his ministry than you've ever given before? Maybe you're feeling a tug at your heart to teach and you've never taught before. Maybe he's placing somebody on your heart that needs to be discipled and you're thinking, I'm not capable of doing that. Maybe he's calling you to give more financially than you've ever given before. Maybe he's calling you to plant a church. Maybe he's calling you to move with a campus plant in the future. Maybe he's calling you to serve on a short-term mission trip for the first time, for the third time, or the 20th time. Maybe he's calling you to give up everything, your life in Cleveland and the comforts here and serve him in a foreign country. Maybe he's calling you to full-time missions. Is he calling you? My heart is not to call you to little things. I don't want to call you to give 1% more of your income. I don't want to call you to just do the next step in the Bible reading plan. I want, you to, I want to call you to do gigantic things, huge things that you could never accomplish on your own. Because God is big. God is enormous. And he's calling us to enormous things. So my heart is that you'll hear him calling you today. And guess what? He is calling you. He's calling you to something bigger than yourself, something that will allow him only to receive glory, and he's calling. So I want to take just a couple of minutes. Nate's going to play quietly, and I want you to hear from God. I want you to ask him, what, God, are you calling me to do that's risky faith in 2017. Father, first of all, I just I ask for 
you to position your angels around this place and keep the enemy away. And Lord, as you speak now to each of us, let us hear like a clarion bell that ringing in our heart and know and trust that it's you, Lord. And the things that you are calling us to might seem scary, but they're not. The enemy would have us think they're scary, but they're not because you were behind it with full assurance of faith, with full conviction, we can step forward in what it is that you're calling us to do today. Lord, I thank you for what you're calling us to as a church collectively and as individuals, Lord. Thank you for what you've spoken to our hearts today. Because, Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do. We look forward to you moving mightily in this place. We look forward to you drawing people to yourself and drawing them out of the clutches of hell, Lord, and, and giving them new life in Christ and discipling them and growing them and teaching them through us. We look forward to people here being sent out into their neighborhoods and into their families and into the uttermost parts of the world to share your gospel and to see you lifted up, to see you raised up, and to see all men drawn to you, Lord. We're so grateful. We're so grateful that we are your children, that you have given us full assurance of faith and that we can stand firmly upon you and that we can hear you and we can move forward with complete conviction that you're going to accomplish through us what you're calling us to do. So Lord, I commit all of us to you. Do in us what you want to do today and in 2017. We love you, Lord, and we look forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember my encounter with the Unitarian Universalists? There were both positives and negatives about that encounter except I don't know how God used the words that I spoke that day, that he spoke through me to impact the lives of the people in that room. I flexed my faith muscles and answered God's calling to share what he spoke through me. But I don't have any stories of people having come to faith. I don't know how God used me that day. But I do know that what he called me to was to act in faith and works and God said in Isaiah 55, 11, my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Guess what? All of the people we talked about in Hebrews 11, none of them saw it either. If you go down to verse 39, it says, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Regardless, they acted in risky faith through their works and they trusted God for the outcome. Without risk, there is no faith and without faith, there is no risk. We're called to act in risky faith. Will we hear God call in 2017? Pray with me again. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for changing us, Lord. We're so grateful to be called your children. 
We love you, Lord. We commit all of this to you, and we look forward to what you're going to do. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name.